Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be a part of this year program, I, I you know, I really, I, 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 so here's the thing. I don't actually have anybody uh, do show prep for me. I actually really genuinely do it myself. Charlie and Philip uh, throw stuff into a Slack channel where for short segments and stuff, if there are stories I may miss because I get so myopic sometimes on the things I'm covering that they they can fill in the gaps. But uh, days like this, I struggle with how to uh, carry out the show and, and where do I put things and occasionally have to make on, on the second uh, changes based on what's happening in the news. And it used to be, when I was doing just an evening show for a very long time, I had like five minutes, throw to traffic, come back for four minutes, go to commercial, come back for three minutes, and and on it went for a couple hours. And uh, now I, I have time to spread out and do other things. And I'm also not just uh, doing a drive time show in Atlanta, Georgia, but doing a nationwide show. And I know a lot of the stations I'm on don't have uh, extensive resources to be able to jump in and out of stuff. So I'm, I'm trying to do due diligence. And occasionally, uh, as things are shaping up, I realize, you know what? I meant to say this, and, and I need to say this. So let me give you the lay of the landscape right now. I've got all every news channel pulled up. I, I have this amazing technology in my office. I rarely ever really use it because I forget that I have it. Uh, but I've got on, let's see, it's, um, there's the net, new network called Newsy, which is out of Atlanta, uh, MSNBC, Cheddar News, CBS News, NBC News, ABC News, uh, CNBC, MSNBC, NBC, uh, Fox Business, Fox News, CNN, uh, Newsmax, uh, C-SPAN 1, C-SPAN 2, C-SPAN 3, the BBC, a few others. They're all there. And I'm watching so I know if something big happens, I can let you know. I will tell you the markets are down, but I want to actually talk to you about something else related to this. I get emails and I see tweets from people saying, why are we even involved? Who cares? Now, a lot of people are doing this very binary thinking that we're either going to have to send troops or not. There are plenty of things we can do without sending troops. Uh, we can be arming the Ukrainians, which Donald Trump did and Joe Biden is not doing. We can be kicking them out of the swift banking system. We can blockade the Bosporus so they can't get their navy into the Mediterranean for the Black Sea. We need Turkey's cooperation on that. They are a NATO ally. There are lots of things we can do. We can start doing natural gas supply runs to Europe, take every available ship and start shipping as much natural gas to Europe as possible uh, because they're so dependent on Russian natural gas. We can do a Berlin airlift for all of Europe and get our natural gas into the supply chain and get Qatar involved. We can also uh, shake up the oil dichotomy. We get a lot of oil from Russia. We don't have to. It's a choice of ours to be dependent on foreign governments for our oil. In 2014, when Russia took over Crimea, 
we and the Saudis working together were able to shut down all of Russia's oil exports by upping the Saudi oil exports. The Saudis trumped the Russians, and it was so crippling, the Russians actually did give some concessions, even though they didn't get a, get out of Crimea. We could do it and sustain it now and make it painful for them, in addition to getting them out of the swift banking system. There are lots of things we can do without sending troops. Now, this is really important, and I want everybody listening to try to process this because you can't really process it. I'm about to tell you something in the abstract. It is in the abstract because you have no knowledge base in order to process what I'm about to tell you. We have a few tens of thousands, maybe 100,000, World War II veterans alive. With the exception of those people, not a single one of you listening to me right now, if you are under the age of 80 and you are listening to me right now, you have no awareness of or concept of, or an ability to relate to the fact that there was a time when the United States was not the preeminent superpower on planet Earth. The very last people in the United States of America right now who can recall that also recall that we were storming the beaches of Normandy and fighting in Iwo Jima to claim our right to lead to the free world. We had to fight the Nazis and the Japanese to get there. And we got it in World War II, and we've never slipped off the top. Decline is a choice. And some of you listening right now have made the choice that you think it's okay and you can do it because you don't have any idea what the world would look like if we weren't on top. You're willing to toy with the hypothetical and say, well, just let China and and Russia have it. Jonah Goldberg used to be at National Review. He's now at uh, The Dispatch. Some of you decided you don't like him because he's not Trump enough. He's Hadn't changed his conservative views on stuff, but he's not Trump enough, so you don't like him. But Jonah Goldberg wrote a book that many of you who hate him now loved called Liberal Fascism. And one of the things that Goldberg noted in the book is that fascism is actually a left-wing ideology. It's not a right-wing ideology. And one of the things he, he says in the book, one of the things he writes and notes and is true, is that the progressives have never had to have a sense of history. History is always new. It's always a blank slate. That's why they constantly get back into the same problems. But there are now a lot of people on the right who aren't really conservatives per se, national populists, whatever you want to call them, and they themselves don't have a sense of history. They ignore that there was a time that existed before they began to pay attention to things. This is one of the most damning indictments on the American media right now is that the American media itself does not have a memory. For many reporters, history, if they're in their 40s, history began for them in the year 2000 with Bush versus Gore. 
If they're in their 30s or their 20s, history began with Barack Obama. They got their thigh sweats from Barack Obama. They don't remember history before then. They don't remember that there was this 40-year period where the Democrats controlled everything in Washington except the White House. They don't remember the fall of the Berlin Wall. They don't remember what it was like to deal with the Soviet Union. They don't remember what it was like when the United States was in constant competition to be a superpower, and they do not remember the Pax Americana. After World War II, prior to Soviet spies in the United States leaking how to build an atomic bomb to the Soviet Union, there was a time in the world that the historians call the Pax Americana. It was a time where the United States was so preeminent and so dominant in the world, the entire world was at peace. And then the Soviets got to parity with us on the nuclear bomb. And we entered the Cold War, and we had two global hegemons. We had a West and an East. And we were able to build an alliance. Richard Nixon did this for all of his many faults. He was smart enough to see, get China on our side and contain Russia. And he did. So you had the Chinese communists and the Russian communists at odds with each other. But right now, because of a lack of foresight of both political parties, there is no blame of any one president here. It is both parties. We kind of lost track of the plot. We kind of lost track of the plot. Now the Russians and the Chinese are building bridges and ties, financial ties and military ties. And our response to that must be to secure the rest of the world. And we have opportunities we've never had before. The Vietnamese won an alliance with the United States of America. Did you know that? Did you know? doesn't get talked about a lot. The Vietnamese are working overtime to try to build a strategic peace arrangement with the United States. Why? Because a great deal of the Vietnamese uh, food stuff comes from fish from the South China Sea. And the Chinese have laid claim to the territorial territorial waters of Vietnam. The Vietnamese would like to deal with us. The Philippines, which used to be an American territory. The Chinese tried to bring them into the fold and they got a crazy president right now. And even he could see through the plot and he would like greater ties with the United States again. We have ways to combat this, but we have to commit to combating it. And there are a lot of Americans right now. There are a lot of them on the right. And let me explain to you briefly what's happening on the right. There are a number of people who've decided conservatism doesn't conserve anything and they consider themselves right of center, but they don't consider themselves conservatives anymore. And they're, they're playing around with a lot of ideologies. They're trying to mix and match. They have no coherent philosophy, but they're trying to get to one. And one of the things they're trying to get to is they kind of like authoritarians. They kind of like the guy in Hungary. They kind of got like uh, Putin, and they're kind of envious of President Xi's ability to rally a people in China. And everything that it has to do with in particular is uh, cultural stuff. The Chinese and the Russians and the Hungarians do not abide the wokes. They don't abide the, the social justice warriors. You won't have a drag queen story hour in China or Russia. The drag queen will die. 
And they think, well, you know, we need to be illiberal. Look at what liberalism has gotten us. And, and they misunderstand that they just have no sense of history like the left. They don't understand liberalism and liberals are not the same thing. A laissez-faire attitude has, has, has helped us a lot. And we see uh, uh, in America right now on the left an illiberalism growing where those of us who dissent can't say anything. If you go on Twitter right now and you point out that Leah Thompson, the swimmer at the University of Pennsylvania, is actually a man, they turn off your account. It's an illiberalism on the left. And so the right's response has been, well, we need to be a liberal too. Look at Russia. Look at Hungary. Look at China. This crap doesn't happen there. Yes, but you also can't disagree with the government. And if the government's not on your side, well, then you're toast. And by the way, here, elections have consequences, and there's no such thing as a permanent political majority. So the sands are always shifting. The only way to keep the sands from shifting the other direction is to have an authoritarian who seizes power. And some of these people on the right, if you listen to them, they seem to be rather enamored with that idea so that they can impose their culture on everyone else in the country and never have to have it turned around on them. It's not a good idea for the United States, and they have no sense of history. These things, these dynamics, they always change. And a lot of them, and some on the left as well, are flirting with the idea that let's just let them have it. Screw this. Let's just look internal. History shows us every time the United States becomes isolationist, the world goes to war. I don't know why that is. I really don't. But history shows us every time the United States becomes isolationist, the world goes to war. And eventually the United States is dragged into it. None of you alive, unless you fought in World War II, know what it's like to have a world where the United States is not the dominant superpower. And some of you think it would be a neat experiment to see what that would look like. I would suggest to you, for your own sake and that of your children and grandchildren, give that up. It doesn't mean we have to go to war everywhere. What it does mean is that we have to speak with clarity and truth on the world stage at all times, and we have to stand up to the bullies and be willing at all times to throw the punch. And we can never throw the punch if we've disarmed ourselves. We can never throw the punch if we've turned our military into a social experiment for social justice and not a group of men and women designed to kill bad guys. On the left and the right, people are forgetting their history. You know, contrary to the state, the people who forget their history are doomed to repeat it. You never repeat history. It's just history echoes. You don't get the same fact pattern every time but you certainly get echoes of it. You get a shadow of it. And you can see that shaping up in Europe right now. We're not going to have Hitler in the Sudestland, but what we are having is Vladimir Putin in Ukraine. And if we let him get away with this, there's going to be hell to pay long-term, and it's going to be against our interests to let that happen because we don't want to send troops to Ukraine. We don't. But if we don't come up with non-troop deployment ways to stop Putin now, eventually... Your sons and daughters will be going back to war, whether you want to or not. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. There is breaking news from this fight. Uh, Ukraine uh, is saying that Russia has taken control of Chernobyl. 
uh, and you're wondering what's the big deal? Uh, why would we care that they're taking over Chernobyl? Well, because uh, Chernobyl sits on the banks of a major trade route and river uh, and is very near Belarus, uh, which is a Russian ally. And so by taking that, uh, they can now move down the river of the Kiev Reservoir straight into Kiev um, with boats and other equipment. So, yeah, it, it's it's actually pretty smooth sailing if you take Chernobyl and you move down. Um, it's right on the Belarus border, uh, due north of Kiev. So that's a, a strategic point. And it helps the Russians. Uh, they're headed to Kiev. Uh, according to various media outlets with sources in Russia, they're saying Vladimir Putin is saying he intends to set up a new government in Kiev. You know, the president of Ukraine was a comedian. He ran as a reformer and won. And he has not in the last few years, reformed as much. In fact, he's had faced allegations of corruption and the like. But just just think about that. Uh, you run for office. You're a comedian. You just think the government is corrupt and you want to clean it up. And you get elected and now you're facing a massive invasion from one of the world's largest armies and they're out to kill you. And you're standing strong and trying to rally your people. In a few moments, allegedly, the president of the United States is going to address the American people. Uh, it may happen while we are in commercial break. I still want to cover it when we come back if he's still speaking. Um, it is, it's actually kind of a monumental day for Joe Biden. Uh, sources from the White House tell Bloomberg News that his advisors advised him the sanctions that he would be deploying yesterday against uh, Russia would do no good and would not dissuade them from invading, and those advisors were right. The question is, will the President of the United States now listen to his advisors? Will the President of the United States decide to go as tough as he possibly can short of a troop deployment? And does the President realize this probably hurts him politically as gas prices rise further and as inflation escalates, there will be a political cost to this. I am trying very hard not to make partisan points here, given the situation, but I do think it's worth noting uh, that as gas prices rise and supplies shorten and inflation goes up because of all of this, that's going to have a direct impact on the midterms as Biden has come across looking weak. He said his sanctions would deter Russia, and they did no such thing. It's time to maybe revisit the playbook. We are awaiting the President of the United States of America. He will be coming from the East Room of the White House. Uh, cameras for the various networks have gone there. Uh, they've now given the two-minute warning. Uh, it looks like he will be approaching the stand here momentarily. I actually want to cover the President live here in his remarks. Uh, in particular, what the President intends to outline are his sanctions. Uh, what new sanctions will come about? Uh, there's been a big divide between European allies and the United States on whether or not to sanction uh, Russia by blocking it from the SWIFT program. The SWIFT program handles international banking transactions. Uh, and uh, Germany, Italy, and Cyprus and Hungary are opposed to blocking Russia. Uh, and 
Germany in particular is concerned because it made a lot of loans to Russia and it doesn't want to block payback of those loans. That's part of the problem here. Uh, as I mentioned before we went into break, it is now confirmed by Ukraine the Russians have taken Chernobyl. Uh, not not the, the nuke plant, although maybe he's watched a lot of Marvel movies and Putin wants to have mutant soldiers. But Chernobyl is due north of Ukraine up the Kiev Reservoir, large lake. Uh, it is an easy, easy path from Chernobyl down the river to Kiev. And he has signaled he wants to take uh, Kiev. Now, interestingly enough, uh, as Joe Biden is about to speak, Ron DeSantis is addressing CPAC down in Florida. And we were lucky to have CPAC in 2021. And I'm happy to inform you, 2021, Florida set an all-time record for domestic tourism coming into our state. And those record numbers include a number of lockdown politicians who lock down their own people, restrict their own people, mandate governors, mayors, big TV hosts. They criticize Florida and the first chance they get, what do they do? They escape to freedom in the state of Florida. Now, it's an interesting juxtaposition here. I would not be surprised if we see a bunch of Democrats attack and say, oh, Ron DeSantis, he's trying to, to preempt the president of the United States from his speech on Ukraine. Well, the president was supposed to speak at 1230. And then they moved it. And the Republicans can say, well, he was just trying to trumpet, uh, step on Ron DeSantis. Uh, regardless, um, as much as I would like to hear Ron DeSantis speak, I do think the news of the day in Ukraine is far more important. Uh, and in large part, it looks like, I mean, Kiev... The capital of Ukraine could fall today with the Russians having seized Chernobyl. It was apparently a hard-fought fight, but the Ukrainians have retreated. Uh, they do need to shore up their capital. Now, one of the things you need to understand is that the Ukrainian president is now dispersing guns to Ukrainians, something that he was at first opposed to do. The Ukrainian president a couple of years ago said that uh, there was no Second Amendment in Ukraine and there was no reason to do so. And today they're trying to get guns in as many hands as possible. Uh, what you've got to understand from the historic dynamics here is that Ukrainian people really don't like the Russians. In fact, uh, remember Jack Palance? Um, he's the old actor. Oh, what was the show? Uh, what was the movie with Billy Crystal? Um Gosh, now I can't remember. Uh, such a great movie. Can't remember the name of it all of a sudden. I'm sure. City Slickers. Thank you. Yes. Uh, Jack Palance is, is the, the cowboy wrestler, and he can do a, a push-up with one hand, and he's old. Uh, Vladimir Putin wanted to give him an award one time uh, as a hero of the Russian people, but uh, Jack Palance said his family was Ukrainian, and he left the event so he didn't even have to see Vladimir Putin. That gives you a sense of the Ukrainian people. They don't like the Russians. And for Putin to try to come in, particularly in Western Ukraine, he's going to have to kill a lot of people, frankly. And given what he's done thus far, I don't know that he would mind doing that. Uh, the Russians very famously, when they take over territory, they pack up Russian people and forcibly move them to new areas and tell them they are doing what they can for Mother Russia by settling new lands. And I suspect that's what we're going to see happen here. Now, uh, one more thing I want to say is we're awaiting the president. 
I'm deeply annoyed by this crap from the White House. I, I really actually am. When George H.W. Bush was president, he said being tardy was rude. And he insisted that he as president be on time all the time. We have not yet seen this White House give an advertised moment for a presidential speech where he did it on time. I assume the State of the Union next week will be different. I assume the State of the Union, he will show up on time because he has a particular appointment time with Nancy Pelosi. How long his speech will take, I have no idea. We'll see if he can stay awake that long to give a decent speech. But I just find it deeply disrespectful to everyone, particularly at a time like this, when there's an invasion in Ukraine, people's attention is on the White House and what the President of the United States will do. He drags it out time and time and time again. It is a sign of disrespect. I don't know what goes into this at this White House for them to drag this out this long. But even Barack Obama and Donald Trump did not do this. And this White House is becoming like the Clinton White House. Now, I was a kid when Clinton was president, but it was well known that Bill Clinton was never anywhere on time. I guess he was with the interns of the White House and they kept him busy so long. It took him a long time to show up. I noticed I never, I'm not even going to say that. Um, But with Joe Biden, he never seems to show up on time. And what is the man doing? It's not like he's doing anything. I guess they're having to prop him up and, and give him something, maybe a steroid shot to get him awake. I don't know. But he never shows up on time. Now, there's a fun juxtaposition as I'm watching all these news channels. Newsmax has Ron DeSantis on the screen listening to his speech while awaiting the president of the United States. It's the only network that's doing that. Every other network is showing live the empty podium of the president of the United States. And I guess to some degree there's a metaphor for American leadership right there that this White House just isn't showing up. Uh, this president is not showing up to speak. He was supposed to speak at 1230. They moved it to 130, and now it is 142 p.m., and he still hasn't showed up. The guy gave us the two-minute warning five minutes ago. It's frustrating. Now, we got other stuff that we've got to talk about as well because it's not all Ukraine today. The Supreme Court has decided to take a lot of culture war cases, and the left is having a meltdown. They're having a meltdown because you got to understand the dichotomy here. The left in the United States went to the Supreme Court to get all of its culture war wins. They can't get them at the ballot box. They can't get them in a democratic setting. The result of that is that now the Supreme Court being a 6-4 or 6-3 or 5-4, if you want, conservative majority, has the ability to undo a lot of those gains. It's like running by executive order, although it takes longer. When a president rules by executive order, instead of going through Congress to get things done, the next president can undo all the executive orders very easily. Well, when you don't have Congress or the state legislatures write laws and you rely on courts for your wins, courts can reverse themselves. It's actually easier probably to get courts over time to reverse themselves than it is for Congress to reverse itself on matters, even when you have elections because you have a two-thirds majority in the Senate, or rather 60-vote threshold in the Senate to get rid of the filibuster. And so now the left is apoplectic that they're in a situation, well, 
I'll finish this thought. Here comes the president of the United States. I want to cover the president in his speech right now uh, from the White House. The military has begun a brutal assault on the people of Ukraine. Without provocation, <clears throat> without justification, without necessity, this is a premeditated attack. Vladimir Putin has been planning this for months, as I've been, we've been saying all along. He moved more than 175,000 troops, military equipment, and positions along the Ukrainian border. He moved blood supplies into position and built a field hospital, which uh, tells you all you need to know about his intentions all along. He rejected every good faith effort the United States and our allies and partners made to address our mutual security concerns through dialogue to avoid needless conflict and avert human suffering. For weeks, for weeks, we have been warning that this would happen. And now, it's unfolding largely as we predicted. In the past week, we've seen shelling increase in the Donbas, a region in eastern Ukraine controlled by Russian-backed separatists. Rus the Russian government has perpetrated cyber attacks against Ukraine. We saw a staged political theater in Moscow, outlandish and baseless claims that Ukraine was, a, Ukraine was about to invade and launch a war against Russia, that Ukraine was prepared to use chemical weapons, that Ukraine committed a genocide. Without any evidence, we saw a flagrant violation of international law in attempting to unilaterally create two new so-called republics on sovereign Ukrainian territory. And at the very moment that the United Nations Security Council was meeting to stand up for Ukraine's sovereignty, to stave off invasion, Putin declared his war. Within moments, moments, missile strikes began to fall on historic cities across Ukraine. Then came the air raids, followed by tanks and troops rolling in. We've been transparent with the world. We've shared declassified evidence about Russia's plans and cyber attacks and false pretexts so that there could be no confusion or cover-up about what Putin was doing. Putin is the aggressor. Putin chose this war. And now he and his country will bear the consequences. Today, I'm authorizing additional strong sanctions and new limitations on what can be exported to Russia. This is going to impose severe cost on the Russian economy, both immediately and over time. We have purposefully designed these sanctions to maximize the long-term impact on Russia and to minimize the impact on the United States and our allies. And I want to be clear, the United States is not doing this alone. For months, we've been building a coalition of partners representing well more than half the global economy. 27 members of the European Union, including France, Germany, Italy, as well as the United Kingdom, Canada, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, and many others, to amplify the joint impact of our response. I just spoke with the G7 leaders this morning, and we're in full and total agreement. We will limit Russia's ability to do business in dollars, euros, pounds, and yen to be part of the global economy. We'll limit their ability to do that. We're going to stunt the ability of, to finance and grow Rus the, the Russian military. We're going to impose major, and we're going to impair their ability to compete in high-tech 21st century economy. We've already seen the impact of our actions on Russia's currency and the ruble, which early today 
hit its weakest level ever, ever in history. The Russian stock market plunged today. The Russian government borrowing rates spiked by over 15 percent. In today's actions, we've now sanctioned Russian banks that together hold around $1 trillion in assets. We've cut off Russia's largest bank, a bank that holds more than one-third of Russia's banking assets by itself, cut it off from the U.S. financial system. And today, we're also blocking four more major banks. That means every asset they have in America will be frozen. This includes VTB, the second-largest bank in Russia, which has $250 billion in assets. As promised, we're also adding the names to the list of Russian elites and their family members that are sanctioning, that were sanctioned as well. As I said on Tuesday, these are people who personally gain from the Kremlin's policies and they should share in the pain. We will keep up this drumbeat of those designations against corrupt billionaires in the days ahead. On Tuesday, we stopped the Russian government from raising money from U.S. or European investors. Now we're going to apply the same restrictions to Russia's largest state-owned enterprises, companies with assets that exceed $1.4 trillion. Some of the most powerful impacts our actions will come over time. As we squeeze Russians' access to finances and technology for strategic sectors of its economy and degrade its industrial capacity for years to come. Between our actions and those of our allies and partners, we estimate that we'll cut off more than half of Russia's high-tech imports. It'll strike a blow to their ability to continue to modernize their military. It'll degrade their aerospace industry, including their space program. It'll hurt their ability to build ships, reducing their ability to compete economically. And it will be a major hit to Putin's long-term strategic ambitions. You're listening to the president of the United States. He is addressing uh, the nation on the actions he intends to take and the sanctions. And uh, we've got to take a commercial timeout here. Uh, Before I get to that, I need to tell you about Patriot Mobile and see if you will move your cell phone carrier over to, speaking of patriots out there, Patriot Mobile. Patriot Mobile has a cell service that is run by Christian conservatives, and they use the same cell towers everyone else uses. So you can port your phone number over to them or get a new phone number, take your unlocked phone or get a new phone, and you can use the towers everybody else uses and have great service with a conservative company that gives part of its profits to the conservative movement. And you get free activation with my name by going to patriotmobile.com slash eric, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. You can also call them. They have 100% U.S.-based customer service, 972-PATRIOT. That's patriotmobile.com. You tell them I sent you, you get free activation, patriotmobile.com slash eric. Go today. You get great discounts from them as well. If you're a veteran, first responder, NRA member, teacher, large family, need multiple lines, check them out, patriotmobile.com slash eric. The President of the United States still speaking. This is a dangerous moment for all of Europe, for the freedom around the world. Putin has committed an assault on the very principles that uphold the global peace. But now, the entire world sees clearly what Putin and his Kremlin Kremlin allies are really all about. This was never about genuine security concerns on their part. It was always about naked aggression, about Putin's desire for empire, by any means necessary, by bullying Russia's neighbors through coercion and corruption, by changing borders by force, 
and ultimately by choosing a war without a cause. Putin's actions betray his sinister vision for the future of our world, one where nations take what they want by force. But it is a vision that the United States and freedom-loving nations everywhere will oppose with every tool of our considerable power. Except it doesn't look like they're blocking him out of the swift banking system. We'll leave the president there now. Um, muttering among friends of mine, I'm seeing in national security, not happy, don't think the sanctions go far enough. But it is what we could get with our allies. Uh, we will see. In six months, I suggest uh, the Russian-backed government of Ukraine won't care. Uh, the U.S. now telling allies they expect Kiev to fall within the next 72 hours, if not sooner. Um, not a good situation, and it does make the West look weak, and China is certainly paying attention. It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. You got the economy. You got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building. You want to build a building. Reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can. So spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you. Their website is firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. Again, you need a loan, $750,000 or higher. You're a small business and you see an opportunity to grow. Share it with the Frost family and see if they can help you. Firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. First Liberty Building and Loan can help businesses nationwide become bigger businesses.